Please turn to page 85, Silent Night, 85. Now we have a special from Erin and her family.
Good morning to you, wherever you're listening from. We are in Mark in chapter 6, and enjoying that so well, we're going to be in John chapter 6 instead this morning. It's the same story in a different gospel. I have a lot uh, to bring to you this morning. I hope we can get through at least some of this co coherently. There's a lot in this for us. And I hope you can see it with me this morning. The beautiful truths. Thank you for that music this morning. That's very good. My third grade teacher said I had potential in my singing voice. <laughs> Completely unrealized. I don't have much in my speaking voice. Beautiful. Thank you. We look this morning, and we're going to move rather quickly because of the time and the amount of information. But I want you to follow this, and the, and the first part will be this. I want you to see that you need to read all of the Bible and put it together to get the information. I want you to see that there's more information than you can get because not everything was recorded. And I want you to see with me that the Lord put it together in such a way that it will inspire us if we believe if we believe it will inspire us to living the life he's called us to live. And so we look in John in chapter 6 and we see in the beginning of that chapter, this chapter, the beginning of it, we have the feeding of the 5,000. We looked at that this morning. We have the walking on water, the two miracles that Jesus did. His disciples came back when he sent them out two by two. They came back. It says in Mark in chapter 6, And they gathered themselves together to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. He gave them power over demons and illness. Can you imagine the story? Can you imagine the, the regathering when they came back to Jesus after a time they were out doing ministry while Jesus was teaching in his hometown? And it says the people were offended because they knew who he was and said, well, that's Jesus. We've known him. We know his parents. We know his siblings. They, have, they were offended that he was teaching the gospel, calling himself deity. And they came back together and they told Jesus these things. I, I, just, I just can't help but as I read these things, think of what that regathering must have been like. They came back and said, we raised some sick people. We raised some sick people. And there were people in the crowd that were angry that we did that. And the terrible growling voices, the demonic objection to our authority over those things. And when we rebuked them, they calmed down and they shut up. Lord, Lord that's, wasn't that something that you should have been there? And I really believe that. I really believe when they came back together, the disciples said, if you, just, if you could have just seen what we did, if you could have seen the power and the, they were teaching the doctrines of the kingdom. And so they gathered back together. And Jesus gathered them and said, let's go now into a place because you're tired and I'm tired. Let's go to a place and rest. And they went, and when they got there, there was over 5,000 people there. Two of the Gospels that record, two of them say 15 
or 5,000 men, one of them says, one of them says, uh, Matthew 14 says, besides the women and children, at least 5,000 there, and who knows the actual number. The Bible wants us to know it was a lot. And Jesus divided the bread, the five loaves of barley that the little boy had and two fishes. You know the story. Jesus said to the disciples when they said, Lord, they're hungry, shall we send them away? Jesus said, you feed them. You read your Bible. He said, you feed them. They said, how can we do that? And how much money would it take? And, Jesus, and, and uh, Peter's brother, he said, Lord, now, a little boy over here has five loaves of barley loaves and two fishes. And the Lord said, listen carefully now. Bring him to me. Bring him to me. And I'm telling you this morning, if you want your blessings to multiply, you take whatever circumstance you have, if it's your family, if it's your health, if it's your children, if it's your business, if it's your bank account, if it's your relationships, if it's your home, whatever it is, bring it to Jesus, and it will be a miracle. You believe that, you don't believe that. I'm standing here this morning, I believe it. I believe it. You know how many families have fallen apart and disintegrated and all kinds of things because they simply did not bring them to Jesus. And it says he brought them the loaves, he looked up to heaven, he thanked the Father, he blessed the bread and he handed it to them. And a, repeating from last hour, I'm sorry for those that are hearing both, but I want to say this. He handed it to them, and it's the first miracle in the Bible where they were participants in the miracle. Jesus broke it, handed it to his disciples. He told them to sit down in companies of 50 and hundreds, and there were thousands. And, he, and the disciples then handed a piece of bread to the first in the company. And as they broke off a piece and handed it to the next person, it just kept getting, it kept multiplying. And they saw with their own hands they were making a miracle. Now that's relevant to our preaching this morning. I want you to think about that. God gave them in Christ there. He gave them opportunity to be part of the miracle. They saw the dead raised when Christ raised them. They saw the demons cast out when he did it. They saw the miracles of Jesus and they heard his power in his doctrine. But now for the first time in recorded scripture, for the first time, their hands are involved and they're part of the miracle. Now, folks, I think that's a big deal. I think that's a big deal. Because he's going to teach us more about this breaking of the bread just a little bit now. But we go on to the walking on the water. And it says, by the way, they had five loaves and two fishes. And they picked up fragments, basketfuls of both after they had all been filled. It's a miracle. The Bible calls it a miracle. It says in, at this place, it says in John, and when the men and they that had seen the miracle that Jesus did said, of a truth, this prophet that should come into the world is this Jesus. It helped them recognize something about the Lord. And then they came, the Bible says, in John chapter 6, it says in verse 15, And when therefore Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. 
And when evening was now come, his disciples went down to the sea, and they entered the ship and went over toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And when they had rowed about five and 30, uh, 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. And he said to them, It is I, be not afraid. And they, believe it, you believe this? They willingly received him into the ship. <laughs> get in here. You walking on water, get in here. And immediately, John says, is the only gospel that says, immediately the ship, immediately the ship was at the land where they went. He's the God of creation. He's the God of multiplication. He's the God of miracles. He's the God of obedience to nature. And now he shows them that time, time, and eternity are different things. He got in the boat and it immediately was at the shoreline. Well, what I wanted to say as I begin this to you, I read these things to you because in John chapter 6, the same story is given of the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water. But when we get to the place where he said he sat down with his disciples in verse 3, he sat down the mountain. In the same story of Luke in 9, it says, and spake to them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. You don't see that in this passage, but it's the parallel passage in Luke. Mark says he sat down there. John doesn't say to, to teach them. It says uh, in John, Philip said, When shall we buy bread that they may eat? And Jesus said, to prove him, for he knew what he would do. In uh, Mark, it says, Jesus told him, you feed them. You, you give them to eat. You give them to eat. Not recorded in John. It says in verse 9, that there is a lad here who hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? In the same account in Matthew 14, it says, bring them to me. Doesn't say that here, but if you put all the stories together, if you put all the messages together, all pinned by the Holy Spirit, all pinned by the Holy Spirit, put the story together and get the completeness of it as far as the Holy Spirit will give it to us. And then it says in verse 10, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Matthew 14 and 21 says, besides the women and children. That's a different number. That's a lot. And it says in verse 12 in John 6 here, they were filled. They were filled. Verse 13, they gathered together 12 baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And then 14 says, as I said before, it was a miracle. The Bible calls it a miracle. And when they saw the miracle, they were coming to take Jesus by force. And the passage I have this morning is the rest of chapter 6 of John, the 22nd through the finish of the chapter. But interestingly enough, listen, Jesus multiplies the bread. He allows the people for the first time in his, in his ministry to be part of a miracle. 
you people here this morning, you were a live birth. That's a miracle. And many of you have given live birth. That's a miracle. That's still a miracle no matter what the world says about it, no matter what science says, no matter what schools are teaching. If you want to destroy the, the young and the baby, you know what? It's still a miracle and God still wants to talk about it when we see him. We're still going to talk to Jesus face to face about what we thought about life being in the blood and the innocent bloodshed. Oh, no, the universities aren't teaching that now. They're raising a bunch of knotheads. The Bible says the life is in the blood. The Bible says you and I do not have the power to take life. The Bible says God is the giver of all life. This is Christ teaching who he is. And in the wonderful teaching of Christ of who he is. Listen, folks. It's about the great agenda exchange that I talk about so much. He says to them, because of the hardness of their hearts, they don't understand. Because of the hardness of their hearts, they don't understand. Because of the hardness of our hearts, we don't really understand. When I tell you this flat-footed, looking in your eyeballs, and you people out there reclining in your cars, and the rest of you in the barn, let me tell you this. So, you know, you know what Jesus said? Let me tell you this now. Here's a truth that people don't like, and it's the best blessing in the world. It's not about you. It is just not about you. That takes a lot of pressure off. It's not about me. A lot of pressure is alleviated when it comes off. The world doesn't teach that. Our flesh doesn't want to believe that. But when we understand when Jesus says it's not about you, it's about me, it's about him, not about me, not about you, it's about him. When we understand that in his teaching, we understand this. Good. I don't have to whatever. He already did it. I don't have to live up to. I don't have to perform. I don't have to be. I don't have to do. He's already done it. And all he said was, come and enjoy being my, my child. Come and enjoy your father's house. There's not one Christian in a hundred I know that know how to do that very well. It's hardest for young men particularly. But not many people want to give over to Jesus Christ and him being the Lord of their life. And by the Lord, I mean this, master. Every morning, wake up this way, what would you have me to do? Oh, no. No, no. You see... That is the, that's the most liberating message from the gospel you can get, and it's the most hated among even Christian circles. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why people aren't so... Have you ever been so tired you just fell into the chair? I mean, exhausted. Feet are dragging your mouth. You couldn't spit if you had to. And you come in and somewhere... Or just drop on the ground, on a wagon, on a tailgate. You just drop and just take the weight off and just exhale because um, <laughs> that's what it is when Jesus says, Come unto me, ye that labor, and I'll give you rest. You know what he's going to do? He's going to say, The work's already done. Enjoy the fruit. The work is already done. It's in this passage, by the way. They asked him, what are the works that we needed to do? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the works that we must do? Everybody wants to do something, to be known as, to be known for. And God put in everybody 
And it's not wrong, but he put in a, de a deeper desire to do and to be and to have if it's in the right parameters, under the right guidelines. He wants us to be something. He wants us to be someone who brings people home when they come. He wants us to promote the kingdom. He wants us to be something. He wants us to do something. And that's his will, not ours. He wants us to have something. It's not the biggest house in town particularly, but it's a heart that goes to bed saying, if I don't wake up here, I'm going to wake up there. That's good news. That is, Folks, that's good news. The good news is it's all been done. It's all been done. And so here's the interesting thing I wanted to get to this morning, or it's one of them, and as I speak, I know you're fascinated moment by moment, verse by verse. Don't look at me that way. So here we have this, and we look at the, the, the Gospel of John today in a little different light because John was written very different than the other three. Very high Christology. Matthew wrote about a king. Mark wrote about a servant. Luke wrote about the man, son of man, Jesus Christ the man. John wrote about this Christ who's God walking around down here. It's God standing here looking at me. John says, I'm the one who laid on his breast. I'm the one who every time I had a chance, and he was the youngest of the group, and I identify tremendously with John. He said, every time I had a chance and Jesus was reclining, I'd lay my head on him. That's John. That's John. And the other three Gospels say this. He did multiply the bread. There were thousands there. There were at least 5,000. One says, besides the women and children, they all say he looked up and gave thanks and broke the bread. But the other three don't do what John did and give the discourse, the sermon, the teaching on the meaning of that. John does. It starts in verse 22 of John 6. In this passage, we see this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. It says, the day following verse 22 of John 6, when the people which stood on the other side saw there was none other boat. And here's the story. He fed the 5,000. They wanted to take him and make him king. He did not want that to happen. He sent his disciples away in a boat. He went up to pray in a mountain alone. The Bible says in other gospels that he could see them rowing and toiling. A storm arose on the little sea. And they were getting nowhere fast. And they were afraid because the wind was boisterous. The waves were vehement, the Bible says. And they were rowing, and they were getting nowhere, and Jesus was alone with the Father. The 5,000 plus, maybe 15, we don't know. All those people were still there that had eaten and seen the multiplication of the bread and the miracles there. And they said, now we see, because our hands are part of this, I believe, because our hands are part of this miracle. This is the predicted Messiah. This is the prophet that was to come. Jesus heard him saying and understood that they were going to make him king by force. And he said, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to be the king of miracles. I'm not here to be the king of feeding people. He says, that's what you believe about me. That's not what I came to teach you about me. It even says it. It even says in verse 23, and, uh, verse uh, 23, how be it, there came another boat. 
nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. Listen carefully now. After that, the Lord had given thanks. I want to tell you this morning that a thankful heart is the key to the miracles. A thankful heart. It's all the way through. He said, bring the bread unto me. It said he looked up into heaven. He thanked the Father. He blessed the bread and break it, and it multiplied. And it multiplied. The Holy Spirit puts in even a parenthetical thought here in verse 23. He says, after that Lord had given thanks, when the people saw Jesus was not there, neither the disciples, they took they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, whence camest thou hither? We saw your disciples leave. There were no other boats. How would you get here? Well, we know from the passage before, he walked there. <laughs> he walked halfway and rode in a boat the rest of it. He walked on the water. He didn't say, he didn't answer that, by the way. Jesus wasn't there to tout things. He was there to preach the gospel. And so he said, verse 26, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because you saw the miracle, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For, because him hath God the Father sealed, you remember at his baptism, the Lord said from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he had to say to Peter one more time, hear him. This is my son. Listen to him in particular. And so I want to move along here. I want you to get some things this morning. This will be the first one. Verse 28 says, And they said to him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now that's the question. You find it in the Old Testament as well. What would please God? Shall we give him our firstborn? Shall we sacrifice our firstborn to God? Take him to the fiery pit, the lap of Dagon? And let me tell you something, folks. You believe this or not. The gods of the Old Testament are alive and well today and being worshipped in these United States. Ashtaroth. Baal. Baal is being worshipped openly in the capital of our nation. Open Baal worship. There are people in high positions in this country who openly claim to worship Satan. Openly. For the first time in my lifetime, it is in our face. Now, what are you going to do about that? What do we do with that? Can I tell you this? God is stronger than any other spiritual force. And those combined in this universe. The Bible says Daniel contended with the archangel contended for Daniel, the Bible says. Archangels contend with other spirits. The Lord doesn't contend with anybody. 
when the Lord speaks, just as, as he said, let there be light, there was light. When he calls the demons down, they are done. There's no fight. There's no contest. That's why when he comes back one day on a white horse with his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and all the saints are behind him, dressed in white, you read that battle, we don't touch anything. <laughs> we just watch. We're the biggest army of spectators in recorded history. Because the Bible says the sharp two-edged sword goes out of the Lord's mouth. He cuts them. He cuts them down. With what? With his tongue. He's gone. Believe that? That helps me sleep, by the way. That makes me curl up and, and uh, get my pillow just right. Try to cover up what I can and the rest of it tuck somewhere. Yeah. It takes me. That sounds like a lot of work, but about 20 seconds I'm snoring. It gives me peace of my heart to know that Jesus Christ is in charge and I'm his son. How about you? How about you? He's in charge of this world. He's God. He, what he says is going to go. He warned us it's going to get ugly before we go home. But he said this, fear not. It's my pleasure to give my children the kingdom. Pleasure. Do you have to go through some ugly days to get to the glory? Yeah. Are there people out there that want the worst for you and me and our children? Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, they do. Is there God still in heaven saying... It'll happen if I say so, and if I say no, it's no. Here's what people that believe in evil and are deceived don't understand. <clears throat> Try again. Hey, Vanna, I'll take a bow. What's behind curtain number three? When the Lord says no, the answer is no. And I don't care who you're affiliated with, how much money you got, who, what they're talking about, what they said. The answer is what the Lord says the answer is, and it's unchangeable. And I sleep like a baby. More ways than you know. Here's Jesus. He said this. The work, verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. God made us to want to do something. When we have children and grandchildren and neighbors and friends that are young people that have no energy, something's wrong. When young people don't want to get with it, something's wrong. When young people want what you have given to them from you without the effort, the pain, or the <laughs> something's wrong. And the Lord says that person shouldn't even eat, let alone enjoy nice things. He who will not work, neither shall he eat, the Bible says. That's Paul wrote that down. Let me tell you something, folks. Here's the work that we have to do as Christians. This is the work. What can I do? Everybody wants to be doing something. You want know what Jesus said? Believe. Believe on God the Father. You believe him this morning? And they said, therefore, unto him, verse 30, What sign showest thou then? that we may see and believe thee, what dost thou work? What are you going to do? What do you do, Jesus? What's your deal? And he said, our fathers did, they said, our fathers did eat man in the desert. It's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
And Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you that, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then he said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus answered and said, very, very carefully here, listen now. Jesus answered and said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Can you be with me this morning far enough to say that's a spiritual application? The breaking of bread and the multiplication to the thousands was for a physical hunger. And Jesus said, will you take another step with me? Will you come up to a different plane with me and know this? I am the bread of life. Why did he feed the 5,000 and more? Why did he feed them? They were hungry and they needed nourishment. Why did he come here? The Bible tells us we have to partake of Christ's nature and his very life in order to have the hunger of our soul satisfied. You believe that? The Bible teaches clearly that we have to partake, be partakers of Christ's nature. This teaching, the discourse that explains on a spiritual level what Christ did on a physical level, is nowhere recorded but the book of John. And Jesus said he saw them want to take him as king and make him king. And he said, you're, you're, you're following me for the wrong reasons. I'm not going to give you a new bread every day. That's not what I'm here for. That's not even why I'm here. You read twice in this passage, he said, manna came from heaven and all of those people died. They're dead. They're gone. But I came as the bread of life and you'll never hunger nor thirst again. Spiritually. A satisfied soul. I don't know what, what your days are full of. I know what mine are. I know the texts and the phone calls I get. I know the one-on-one -on -one conversations that we have. I know what my days are full of. And there's a sadness in people they don't understand. There's an unsatisfied part of people they don't understand. And people don't understand it because it's spiritual. They don't understand it because they do have enough money. They do have enough things. They do have those things that they wanted younger, maybe, or thought, if I had those, it would make me happy. And yet there is a hole in their soul. And everybody deals with that differently. There's not a lot of different ways, but people, most people do it in privacy. They put on a face for the public. But they do it privately. They suffer a soul because Jesus said... If you don't, talk about these people who call themselves Christians. If you don't learn to partake of my nature, this teaching is so deep and so rich, and most Christians don't even want to hear it. The Lord says, if you don't learn to partake of my nature and live the life that I've put in you. You see, this is, a, this is an invasion when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and me, it's an invasion from another world. Jesus said to Pilate before his crucifixion, I am not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But I'm not of this world. And I'm not going to be of this world until I come back and make it the world I intended it to be in the recreation. There will be a day when all things are made new and after all the judgments are settled. You and I before the Bema Seat of Christ. You and I before the Bema Seat of Christ, not for judgment, but for reward or loss of reward. For all the unbelievers who are most of the people in this world, it's the white judgment seat of Christ where they're cast into hell. And they're told why. You simply believed yourself more than me. You lived your agenda, not mine. You never bowed your knee to me. You may have said a few things, but you never came to me and exchanged your agenda for mine. Oh, I know it's because you were so smart. I know it's because you were so good at what you planned. I know it's because you had your ideas of what you wanted to do. But the Lord said, I gave you a life and I gave you a plan. If you do not go by the plan that I gave you, if you don't seek my face, if you don't truly come unto me, these people think they're Christian. I'm telling you, folks, it's scary the way the Bible talks about these things for people who are these what we call fringe Christians. Church, maybe, maybe not. Worship, maybe, maybe not. Reading the Bible, maybe, maybe not. But here's the answer. All of that pivots and hinges on this one idea that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I mean the Lord of my life. I'm not talking about he's that cute baby that we sing about at Christmas and feel good and get things. He's the one to whom every moment of every day I say, Lord, here am I. What will you have me to do? No, I'm not, no, I'm not interested in that. I've heard that's me. No, I'm not interested in that. No, no, I got my plans and I got, the, I'm, it's working. It's working really, really. Because you can get, you can gain what you have a lot of ways. But if the Lord doesn't add his blessing to it, there's a hole there. I don't care if you're in the biggest house. I don't care if you're driving the nicest car and your pockets are fat. I don't care. I'm telling you, I've met too many people who sat with me, knee to knee in a little room, tears on their eyes and down their cheeks saying this, what's wrong? I want to take my own life. What is wrong? I have everything I could ever imagine and I don't want to live anymore. They never came to the Christ. They never came to the Christ. If they did, it was for the fishes and the loaves. It wasn't for you and me, I and you, us before the Father. That's so hard to hear for people. That is so hard to hear. It's the most liberating teaching in the Word of God. And it's, by the way, the most consistent. He said in verse 37 of John 6, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That causes us to jump. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me, and this is the Father's will, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him. You see, there's a stipulation. And believeth on him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up to the last day. Look what it says in verse 44. And no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. You don't come to Christ and get saved because you woke up one day and said, I think I'll get saved today. 
You don't have that kind of power, that kind of intelligence, by the way. You don't get up one day and say, I think I'll be a good Christian now. I think I'll get saved and I think I'll... That's not how it works. That's not how it works. The Lord said, I don't even do my own will. I do the will of my Father. Now we want to kind of wrap it up this morning. I want you to get this idea before we go. In verse 47, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which come down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the world, uh, for the life of the world. The Jews got upset with that. You see, they strove and, and they said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Could he say it any clearer? Could he say it <laughs> a way to get a hold of it better? Verse 56 says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Verse 60 says, And therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, This is a hard thing, hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples murmured at it, he said to them, Does this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascending up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, and the flesh profiteth nothing. What kind, of, what kind of teaching is that to what we get in the world today? The flesh profits nothing. That'll shut the gyms down. That'll shut the cafeterias down. The flesh profits nothing. Listen to what he says. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Verse 65 says, he said, therefore, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given to him of my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Really? They quit coming to church. They quit reading the Bible and listening to Christian radio. They quit doing anything. They quit being in fellowship with Christians. Matter of fact, they don't want to hear his name in circles. They don't want to talk about it at lunch. They don't want to talk about this anymore. They're offended. You see that? You know what offended means? That wasn't part of my plans. I don't want to do it your way. If you just knew how sharp I am, if we could just convince Jesus how smart we are, and you say I beat on that, and I do beat on that because the world I grew up in, that's exactly what we're saying to the Lord. I have a plan different than yours, and, you know, really, Lord, think about it. You know how many people I know that are in their careers, in the last of their careers, that have the hole the size of a cannonball in their chest? Let me ask you something. Do you have laughter in your home? Other than when you look at yourself getting ready in the morning? 
Is there laughter in your home? I mean, I'm not talking about body noises. I'm not talking about silly. I'm talking about, do you have joy in your home? Or is everything about a half a crisis? Oh, now what's going on? Now what have we got to do? Most people think that the Lord's passing out halos and wings. I think he's passing out pacifiers and diapers. I think there's a lot of babies in this world. I left school 18 years old, like most of my friends, walked away and glad to do it. And at 19 years old, thanks to my oldest brother, I learned the work was already done before I set out on the journey. You want to talk about relief. It's not up to you. Now, should you be a good man? You better be. Should you get your hands dirty and busy and get some work done, sweat some? Yes. Should you be honest in your dealings with other people? Yes. Yes. Should you get out of bed before the sun and go after it goes down? Yes. Yeah, that's a good idea. But do you know this? The work that matters has already been done. And all you have to do is the best of your ability show it to the world that you know it's true, you believe it, and he paid the price. I know, folks, I know the world doesn't want to hear it. I know you can talk to them until you're blue in the face, and they get up and go to their car, look in the rearview mirror, adjust their hair, look at their teeth, and drive away, and they don't change a thing they've been paying. I get that. Boy, I get that. I get that. But I want to tell you this. When I realized as a young man that I don't have to do or to be or to have according to the world standards to be successful, as a matter of fact, Odds are you're not if you're living by those standards. You know how many people, how many people do you know? Think about it now. Think about this with me for just a minute. How many people do you know who are living blissful marriages, living lives of joy, that you're just drawn to them because they're always up? They're always up. And if they're down, if they're down and you talk to them for a minute, they've been considering other people's problems, not just their own. How many people you know like that? How many people you know who can't wait to get home tonight? I want to tell you a fact, most of my friends want to leave. They're glad to leave in the morning. You husbands out there listening to me, you have listen to this. Your girlfriend's there. Don't you want to go home and talk to your girlfriend? Huh? Don't you? I'll take mine with me. Let me tell you this. The Lord made our life to be a joyful experience. And he said, I want to take the, I want to take the pressure off before you start down the road. When you get there, it's already done. The work's already done. You just make the journey right. What's the journey? Every day with those that the Lord has given you in community. Play with them. Laugh with them. Pick on them. You know what I've learned about people? They love to be called by name. People love when you call them by name. They also like chocolate. Let me say this to you this morning. 
The Lord's given you, has given you a life. He gave you a life. He's given you and me a life. And he's given in that life, in your sphere, in your circle, in your community, whatever it is, he's given you influence. And when we stand before him, he's going to talk about how we spent or invested our influence. Do your children, did they, raise, did they get raised up? Do your children know more about the Christ and the beauty and the blessings of the Lord because they were in your home? And they saw you. They saw you praying together. They saw you thanking the Lord. They heard you at the dinner table saying, God, I know this is your bounty. Oh, you're good to us. Our home, our food, our cars. And look across the table. Look what you gave me. Look at her now. Look at him. Thank you, Lord. Really? Or do they know this? I hate my job. I'm sick of going there and not being great, knowing grateful and having ingratitude. I'm sick of my coworkers. They're all stupid. You ever heard people talk like that? Most people do. I hate where I... Really? Well, then that should give you a double reason to come home and be glad with your boyfriend. But, no, we just want to grumble about it there too. You know what the Lord said? The work's already done. I'm offering to you my body and my blood to take into yourself. It's called the supernatural invasion of the Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can you get that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you ever told Christ, I want to be saved, if you ever bowed your knees, bowed your head, and humbly confessed to Christ, I want what you have and I can't get it without you, I can't do it. I can't pay the price of my debt. And you're willing to pay a debt you don't owe. And I want that this morning. Oh, I want you to save me. Did you ever humbly ask the Lord to save you that way and get saved? And now he says, if you did, if you did, most people hide it from everybody else, but if you did, here's what happened. There's a Holy Spirit, supernatural spirit invasion into our soul. And he says, Christ is now in you. That's the hope of glory. Glory means worship and esteem. That's what glory means. That's the hope of glory. Jesus said, if you don't eat my blood and drink my flesh, you can't be part with me. And they were offended. The Bible says they were offended. It says they went away. Jesus says in verse 67 of John 6, and Jesus uh, then said Jesus unto them, will you go away also? His disciples sitting there looking at him. Man, this is different. He said, are you going to go away also? Listen to what Peter said. you got to love him. Open mouth. And Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's a good question. Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. What do we call that? Communion. We come up here back in the days when we all had church together. We came up here and we broke bread and we blessed the cup. And we said, thank you, Lord. Take, eat. This is my body. Take, drink you all of it. This is my blood. The symbol of the wine, the symbol of the juice and the bread. 
that Jesus says you're, you are admitting, you're giving consent to, you're glorifying me in the idea that I now live in you, I'm living in you, and now let you let me live through you, call it the Christian life. And then you go back to, we don't have time, when you go back to Matthew in the 26th chapter, and you read that, you go back to Mark in 26, and you read that where he instituted the Passover, the Lord's Supper, and he said, now that you've done that, you will all be offended in me this night. The agenda is not going to go the way you thought it would. And Peter said, Lord, though all men forsake thee, I will never be offended. Matthew chapter 26. And you know what, Jesus? So said they all. All the disciples said, we're not, we're not going to be offended. Peter said, I'll go with you to death. I'm not going to be offended. My Bible, one page later, says, a little girl said, Peter, you're one of them, aren't you? He said, no, I'm not. Another, another woman said, Peter, Mr. Galilean man, your voice betrays you. You're one of them. I, I saw you with him. He said, no, I wasn't. And the third time, the third time, he was asked and he cursed. Christian cursing happens. And he said, I swear, I'm not one of them. You know what the Bible says? Got to read all of them. It said Peter looked at that moment that he cursed, he cursed God, said lied for the third time. He looked up and Jesus was looking right at him. He's looking at you this morning. Looking at me. Am I offended in his program for my life? I'm going to tell you straight up, my life is not what I planned it to be when I was young and I don't know anybody who is, to tell you the truth. But it's better than I thought it could be. Christ is at the helm. I want to close with this passage. I want you to see that John 6 and 22 to John 6 and 71 is nowhere else in the Bible. It's nowhere else in the Bible. Only John gives the dissertation of, of the breaking of bread and what the bread means and I want you to close with me with one verse and I promise now my promises are pretty shallow but I promise this verse 25 of the last chapter of John verse 25 of John 21 if you'll turn there I want you to eyeballs to see it with mine that's right get your eyeballs on it but I'm like, you can't do that. You keep it stubborn. John 21 and verse 25, the end of the gospel of John, who gives us things the other gospels do not give us. He omits some things the other gospels do give us. But John says, and there were also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. How do you like that? Do you think, did you think that, uh, did you ever think in your little life that you got the Bible and if you read all of it, you've read everything that Jesus did? 
do you think you read everything the apostles did, the disciples did, or the crowds did when he, when he performed these things? John says, I was with him. I touched him. I handled him. You wrote it first, John 1, 3. He says, I handled him with my hands. You know what he said? I held Jesus. I held God in my arms. And he said, I'm going to tell you this, the last of his gospel, the last of his book, when the Holy Spirit dictated unto him the things he wanted us to know, he said this, and if the world, if the world had all the things written down in books that Jesus did, he said, I suppose it couldn't even contain them all. I have too many books. I'll, get, I'll tell you right now, I've got more books than I need. But I don't have enough to tip the world over. Although it seems like it from time to time. Isn't, isn't the Lord something? Isn't He something to us as the one who came to liberate us? And when you hear Him say in the beginning of His ministry, I came to give sight to the blind. I came to give ears to the deaf. I came... I came to set captives free. Isn't that good news? This world will put you in bondage. Your flesh will put you in bondage. Your little thoughts and your lusts and your desires will put you in bondage. And the Lord said, just call it, come, bring it to me. Bring it to me. And he'll look to the Father and he'll bless it. And it will be okay. Isn't he wonderful? You know who he is. Just say so. It's all right. That's right. He's good. He's wonderful. And our lives are so much because of him. And Paul said of a truth. Now, we see through a glass darkly here, but one day face to face. We're like looking through a dirty aquarium that's six feet wide. We're looking through murky water. We're looking through a fog and a veil right now. And the Bible teaches that in several places. But he said this one day, the veil's going to be pulled back. And it's going to be a clear vision. And there's not one of us going to fall before him and say, I wish I hadn't done so much for you. Say, oh, Lord, really? That's you? 